praise his wonderful name today because he is an absolutely good father. I know that that song says that he is perfect in all of his ways, and he absolutely is. He is the only thing that we can trust in in this world to be perfect in that particular state. I recently heard a, a young person ask the question about what scientific proof is there that God exi exists in this world. And, and this is a challenging question because, first of all, our, our scripture, our Bible, believing in God, it takes a lot of faith. It also takes a lot of commitment to understand that he is alive and well and there. And it takes a relationship between us and him to truly begin to understand that he is alive and well. And those who do not desire that relationship may not ever be able to see that he is existent around them unless they open their eyes to see that he is existent around them. But the challenge with that as well is that I, I have kind of this theory that time itself dwells in the midst of God. He is so big that time itself dwells in the midst of God. So what that means is that he can control uh, things, he can change things, he can put things in different places, he can do things that just to us as human beings do not make sense at all. They, they, we can't understand them, we can't explain them, we don't know what God is doing through those circumstances. And so for us to say that he is perfect in all of his ways is to truly uh, acknowledge inside of our minds. It's, it's to say that we believe that God has all of this in his hands and that no matter what is happening around us, no matter what is going on in our personal lives, we can understand that he is alive and well in the midst of it and he is doing incredible things through it in Jesus' name. So I encourage you tonight to trust in that name of Jesus, to trust in his power, to trust in his perfect ways. I know if you uh, are just now beginning to experience this, it may be difficult to do that, but if you truly want to have a great relationship with God, then, then you have to begin to let your own mindset, your own preconceived ideas, your own thoughts about who God is and what he should do, you have to let those things go and you have to begin to say, God, I am going to trust that what your scripture says about you is who you are and, and, and I'm going to believe in that scripture and I'm going to believe in what you speak to me about who you are in Jesus' name. And so we can believe in that here tonight. So let's pray that. Let's believe that tonight, that God can touch and reach us in our circumstances. Let's get rid of our thoughts and just let his begin to flow into our households tonight in Jesus' name. God, I am so thankful again for you allowing us to come together on this Wednesday night, Jesus. And I pray for every household that is tuning into this message. God, every person that is listening to the sound of my voice, whether through this live stream or the podcast, Jesus, that you would reach them and touch them in their particular place, God. Whatever needs may be happening inside of their households, God, I pray that you would touch those, that you would reach them tonight. And by the authority of your name, God, the sick can be healed. God, the lame can be delivered, Jesus. We believe that tonight, that in these situations, God, you can help every person that is listening to this message, God, as they lift up their prayers, God, and their passions before you. I believe, Jesus, that you will touch those things if they are in your will. And Jesus, it is through you, God, that our hearts and our minds will be open tonight to receive your word and what you are going to speak unto us, God. I am thankful for what you are doing and the authority that you have given in this place, Jesus, for these things to happen. And we believe this in Jesus' wonderful name. Everybody in your household say in Jesus' name. And we believe that in Jesus' name tonight and give him a round of praise and thank him for who he is in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated tonight. Again, I am so thankful for you tuning in with us here and uh, being with us on this live stream. I am excited about this message uh, tonight and, and what God has given me in this Bible study. I know that uh, to sit behind a TV screen can sometimes be uh, annoying to, to have to sit there for such a long message. And so I will try to keep this brief and short tonight. I know that I went a little long last Wednesday and uh, I want to keep it precise, but I also want to deliver what God wants to speak through these messages. I, I truly believe that they are uh, for a time such as this and that they are speaking to every one of us and uh, proclaiming things to us and telling us that we, we need to uh, march forward in the things of God even during the midst of these times. And so I think this lesson is going to be nothing short of that, um, that it will challenge you, 
that it will uh, encourage you to, to take a step forward and, and to move forward inside of your life and, and, and working with him. And so, again, I'm thankful for you being here with us tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. And so tonight, we are learning about the, the continued lessons of Faithful to the Truth. This is the second in this series. And this one is called Not Ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of what we serve, not ashamed of the place that we come to and, and call our church in Jesus' name. And so we are going to speak about those things. And I know that uh, shame is something that Satan would love nothing more than to put inside of your life. And not necessarily him, but his kingdom, this world. Uh, th this world loves to shame people. And, and it loves to try to put that spirit upon people. And it absolutely is a spirit that is alive and well in our world. That it's something that comes into people's lives and tells them that you have done so much wrong in your life that you can never be free from it. That's what shame is, is sitting there thinking, man, I have made so many mistakes in my past that God will never use me. He does not want to cleanse me from my sin. He does not want me to be freed or delivered, but it is absolutely a lie. That is the issue with shame, is that it will come into our lives and it will cause a lie to begin to grow and fester inside of our hearts. And so tonight, I want everybody here to be delivered. And inside of your house, I want you to say this with me. I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Ashamed, because I believe tonight that if you are feeling shame, that God is going to deliver you from that in the midst of this Bible study here tonight. And so again, in Jesus' name, let's let that happen. Let's let that, that become a place inside of your life in Jesus' name. Our scripture tonight that we are talking about here is in 2 Timothy 1 and 8. Again, Paul delivering these letters unto Timothy, who he is trying to instruct and bring up in the Lord. And he says this, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou the partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Paul instructs him to be not ashamed of the testimony of God, nor of him. So Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of me either who is in prison, but Timothy, I want you to go forward very strongly inside of this thing in Jesus' name. So in Acts 26, we read the story of Paul facing judgment in the court of King Agrippa. Agrippa was the great-grandson of Herod the Great, the one who ordered the massacre of newborn babies in Bethlehem following Jesus' birth. His father, Herod Agrippa I, killed James, the brother of John, and arrested Peter with plans to kill him as well. As Paul stood before King Herod Agrippa II, he had every reason to be concerned for his life. The king granted Paul permission to speak in his defense, and Paul told the story of his background as a strict Pharisee and how he had persecuted the followers of Jesus. He told of how a light from heaven brighter than the sun met him on the road to Damascus, and how he fell to the ground and how Jesus spoke directly to him. He said Jesus appeared to him for a purpose, to make him a minister and a witness so people would have the opportunity to receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance of the, or with the people of God. Paul confessed that it was because of his return to Jerusalem and his attempts to convert Jews and Gentiles that the Jews had once sided with now, that, that he had once sided with, now wanted to kill him. But Paul said, that it was by the help of God that he had continued witnessing to people, small and great. He told Agrippa that he said nothing to anyone that did not agree with what the prophets and Moses had foretold, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Paul bravely followed his testimony with a question. He asked the king, do you believe the prophets? Again, this king who had killed his fathers and grandfathers had killed many people before him. He asked the king this question, do you believe these prophets? But before the king spoke, Paul answered his own question saying, I know you believe. Paul knew Agrippa to be an expert in the customs and conflicts among the Jews. The king was practice, a practicing Jew who had authority from Rome to appoint high priests. 
But while he identified as a Jew, he was living a decadent life, including, which included sexual immorality and murder. Agrippa was a double-minded man, and he answered Paul saying, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. We all, as Christians, as apostolics, walk throughout this world. And this phrase is the one that always pierces my heart to, to the core when I am living this in front of somebody, when they can see the gospel clearly in front of them, when they understand that this is, is here and alive and well, but they make a comment that says, man, your life looks wonderful, but I just can't seem to let this alcohol go for my life. I just can't seem to let the pleasures go that I enjoy. I would much rather be in the mountains snowmobiling than in a church on Sunday. I just can't seem to let these go, so I'm just going to continue to be a good person and try to live the best of my life, but I believe that God is okay with me doing these other things and going to these other places here. It's like they're saying this phrase that was quoted to Paul that says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And I know over the past few weeks we have spoken about being a Christian and the hardships that can come as a result of becoming a Christian. But I would hope that those are encouragements to people rather than causing people to say this phrase, you have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. If you are listening to this tonight and you have this mindset inside of your mind of saying, man, you know, I think that it's a good thing and you haven't quite persuaded me there, but I just don't know about this thing and whether or not I should dive into it, I would tell you tonight that you should dive into this thing with both feet and your entire body and say, God, tonight I want to experience your presence and your passion inside of my life, Jesus. I desire to reach out and to speak unto you, God. I desire to fill you inside of my life because, God, I don't want to be almost persuaded, but, God, I want to be completely persuaded that you are alive and well inside of this world. It's just like the young man that said, prove God before me. I want to know scientifically that he is real. And, and if that is your, your thing that you're desiring tonight, I, I, I understand it, or I I understand where you're coming from, but don't let that stop you from saying, God, I desire to be fully persuaded tonight. And don't be discouraged if he doesn't bring down a fireball inside of your household because just you tapping into this message, just his presence coming inside of your house, that alone is enough to persuade a person to say, God is absolutely real and I want him inside of my life in Jesus' name. So Paul, in this, we see that he was called by Jesus to be a witness and to testify of the one who he had previously persecuted. Before his imprisonment, we see that Paul worked tirelessly traveling through Asia Minor, sharing this good news to everyone. He wanted to proclaim this Jesus that he had been persecuting just before this. Now for Paul, this had to be a big ego check a big pride check inside of his life because when, when he was going one direction, he was persecuting the Christians, he was burying them, he was causing murders to happen. He was trying to shut down this Jesus name stuff that was happening as best as he possibly could. But when he was on this horse and, and God came down and uh, he was blinded and, and he, uh, Paul was able to experience the presence of God there and eventually received the gift of the Holy Ghost and, and knew that God was alive and well and that this, this thing that he was persecuting needed to be uh, explained more so to the people. It was a big ego check for Paul because now he had to begin to tell all of his friends that were with him doing those things that he now was one of those people and changed his life about. But Paul was not discouraged by that. He was willing to go out and say, I want to share this good news to people around. So he traveled to church after church after church, and we can see in the New Testament that he wrote letter after letter to many different churches because he was so experienced in this, and he had a desire to spread this good news of Jesus to the people around him. He was very faithful in his ministry. Scripture says this in 1 Thessalonians, it says that ye soon or that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Again, Paul was speaking these things here 
in the midst of suffering insults. He's telling this church here that you are to not be shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. He's proclaiming to them that they needed to take this thing serious. That the words, the testimonies that he was speaking is something that is very vital because the day of Christ was at hand. That Jesus would soon return, and as a result of his return, many people would go to heaven, and many people would have to go to another terrible place. But Paul was speaking these things to encourage the people to get on board, because we do not know when our last day is at hand. We do not know when our last day is going to take place. In the terrible storms over this last week, there's been a few people who have lost their lives in this county. And it was very evident that these people had no idea that in the next second that death was on the doorstep. That in the next second they would no longer be alive in this life. It just took one slick patch to cause them to lose their lives and not have that anymore. And so tonight I would encourage you that if you do not have a passion for this thing, if you do not have a passion for this Jesus' name, to begin to seek it out and desire it because you do not know when your day is coming when you will meet Jesus face to face. That's what Paul is telling us here is to not be discouraged by these things going on around us. Don't let the world dictate who Jesus is in your life. Don't let politicians dictate who Jesus is in your life. But let this word begin to decide who Jesus is in your life. Let the church that speaks the truth begin to tell you about who Jesus can become in your life. That's why we must become unashamed, that we must begin to say, I am not ashamed of this gospel, because when we become not ashamed of these things, then there is nothing that can begin to define Jesus in our lives, or there is nothing that can hold us back from living in heaven with him for all of eternity. And Paul knew this, and he understood it, and he realized it, because he and his co-laborers, they suffered insults and rough mistreatment by people around them. These people did not like the message that they were proclaiming or speaking. Even some inside of the church were taken back by Paul and his conversion and what he was doing. And rightly so, you can understand that just the day before or the weeks before, the months before, they had seen Paul killing their fellow Christians. And now Paul was standing before them proclaiming this Jesus that they had so richly believed in. And so he suffered insults and mistreatment from the people inside and outside. But Paul continued to proclaim the word of God, not by his own strength, but God gave him boldness to get up and try again. That when he fell, when people caused hurts and wounds deep down inside of him, God gave him boldness to say, I'm going to continue marching. I'm going to continue walking in this thing. As so many of you have done so many of you have experienced this, God, and you've lived it. You began to live it. You are living it out now inside of your workplaces, in your households, in those places around you. And sometimes it hurts, and sometimes there's things that pierce through you of what people say, but don't let it discourage you. Don't let it put shame inside of your life of saying, man, maybe a Christian isn't the real great thing inside of this world. No, it is the best thing that could have possibly happened to every single one of us. They may want to shame you, but don't let that shame take you down. That's why I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of this gospel. I am not ashamed of Jesus. I am not ashamed of the church that I go to. I am not ashamed of how we pray or how we worship or how we glorify God because it is all scriptural. And if we get that shame dismissed out of our lives, then we become a powerful force, just like Paul and his followers that went through all of a nation in proclaiming the name of Jesus. So if you desire power in your life, if you desire his spirit in your life, then begin to say, God, tonight I want to be delivered from any shame or guilt that is in my life. I don't want it to hold on to me any longer, but God, I want to have the power and boldness to say, I am not ashamed of the things that you have given to me in Jesus' name. If you would lift your hands with me, let's pray that 
tonight. God, I believe it for every person that is hearing this message right now, God, that shame can no longer hold on to them. It has to begin to go. Its grips cannot hold on to their life or their family or the people around them in Jesus' name. But God, we dismiss it, God. We, we push it away, God, so that your spirit can come and take place inside of our lives, God. Give us boldness, God. Give us a passion for your word tonight, God, so that we can proclaim we are not ashamed of your word or your truth or who you are or what you have given to us. I believe it for every person tonight. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. If you believe that, you can just praise him and thank him and give him glory tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. I'm trying to be careful because I know that these Bible studies are meant to be more teaching and I sometimes get into preaching, but man, you can feel the Holy Ghost, the power that is behind that. And I believe that God is delivering somebody tonight in Jesus' name. You see, Paul, he was able to proclaim so strongly with boldness these things here because he knew what it was like to be sincerely wrong. Paul had mistreated the church he had spoken against the very things he was now testifying of. He knew what it was like to be in the midst of confusion. He knew what it was like to be in a place where people were just speaking things to him and he was believing it and, and going after their ideas and their passions of the world. He knew what it was like to be seeking those things out inside of that. Paul knew what it was like to be sincerely wrong. And this is part of what gave him his boldness and his passion. But we see that he was faithful beyond persecution and imprisonment. That he was faithful, faithful to the things of God, even in the trials and the hurts that began to come into his life. So I want to ask you this question. You can think about it. And if you want to put your response in the comments, you're certainly welcome to. Maybe you can have a conversation with other people. I recently saw a post on online from a missionary. He said, if, you're, uh, if you are commenting on Facebook Live during a church service, does that mean that you are not paying attention or that you're cheating? And he was just joking and uh, asking that, that sort of thing. But let me ask you this question, and you can respond in the comments if you would prefer to do so. How do, how do you think Paul's faithfulness to preach and teach the gospel led him to an even greater audience? How do you think Paul's faithfulness of going and testifying throughout all these countries led him to an even greater audience? This is a question I would encourage you to pray about because it's something that's very revealing about who we are as apostolics. That when we begin to speak the word of God, when we begin to live it out, we're going to be led to some larger audiences. We're going to be led to some places that may cause us to be intimidated a little bit. But by the power and the boldness of God, we can speak his word and his truth in Jesus' name. You see, Paul, he was happy to have this opportunity to speak to King Agrippa. He was called by Jesus to be a witness and testify of the one he had previously persecuted. But he was happy to have this opportunity to speak to King Agrippa. Think about that. He was imprisoned at this point in time, and he considered it an opportunity to speak to King Agrippa. Now, I want to clarify something because I have been misread on this before. Do not, I'm putting this warning out here. If somebody wants to post it in the comments for, for everybody to see, then do it. Quote this, whatever. Do not think that going out and breaking the law is God's purpose for you so that you can go to jail and minister and witness to the people inside of the jail. That is not God's purpose. That is not God's will. That is actually against Scripture to break the laws as long as those laws aren't breaking the Scripture that we have before us. This is the final word in Jesus' name. But if you are a Christian, you're living these things out, and you are arrested for speaking this truth and taken to jail as a result of speaking this truth, then absolutely you can believe that God is ready to work through you and that God is using that situation to begin to minister to some people around you. I'm not, again, let me clarify, I'm not saying that if somebody has messed up and they are in jail right now that God can't use them. That's not what I said. But if somebody purposefully goes out and commits crime so that they go to jail and can minister in there, that is not God's will. That is not how God desires us to 
happen. So Paul, he was happy to have this opportunity because he had been thrown in jail for proclaiming this name of Jesus and who he was. Paul considered his imprisonment a continuation of the ministry that Jesus had called him to. He enjoyed ministering to church after church after church inside of this country, but Paul knew that if he was arrested and put in this place that he was in, that God was going to use him to speak to the people that he needed to speak to. And so kind of the amazing thing here is that prior to his presentation before King Agrippa, Paul had faced an angry mob in Jerusalem that resulted in his initial arrest. These people were not pleased at Paul speaking the word of God. At that time, he had courageously stood before Festus and others and shared his testimony and witness. He was held captive for two full years until he was finally given the opportunity to stand before Agrippa. Two full years that he was in prison. Let, let me remind you that when you're in prison, you aren't in a place where there's an entire church building full of people. When you're in prison, you aren't in a place where there's a drum set and a piano and a bass guitar and good singers and all this stuff to invite you into the presence of God. When you're in prison, there isn't a preacher that can speak to you or that you can call every single day and hear good things about Jesus Christ. When you're in prison, it comes down simply to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul would not have been able to survive this had he not had a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. So I know that these things are great and they're encouraging and we're saying, man, I want boldness and I don't want to be ashamed of the things of Jesus Christ. But tonight I can tell you it is more critical than ever that you do decide to say, I am not ashamed of these things and I want to have a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what would happen if we get to a place where we become arrested for proclaiming this word in the world around us and you are taken to prison and you are placed inside of a cell by yourself would you be able to survive by what you have now, by the knowledge that you have received now, by the scripture that you have memorized now, by the prayer life that you have now? Would you be able to survive in an atmosphere like that? I know Paul was an incredible apostle, and we're saying it's tough to compare yourself to him, but let me tell you, he was a human just like us, and he was showing and demonstrating that we are meant to say, I am not ashamed of this, and I am so not ashamed of it that I am going to get involved in prayer and a deep relationship with Jesus Christ more than I ever have before. He was held captive for these two full years until he was finally given the chance to stand before Agrippa. And Paul was not so weak when he came before Agrippa that he was not able to testify of Jesus, that he was coming before Agrippa and saying, man, I am so poor and I am weak and I am just, I can't do this anymore, Agrippa. Please let me out of prison. I desire, no, Paul didn't say all those things. He didn't sit there and beg him. But what he did is he began to proclaim the name of Jesus, the very thing that had put him there. He realized that he was before a king and he was in a a particular place where he could speak the word of God and it may go thousands of miles around him and as a result Paul began to speak with boldness the things that Jesus wanted him to speak he was pleased to fulfill what God had called him to do to be a chosen vessel to bear his name before the Gentiles kings and children of Israel but he was also concerned that he could remain in captivity or worse he could remain in captivity or worse. You see, Paul, we can believe that although he had this excitement, he was human just like you and I, and he had to have the concern that his death could be drawing near, that his death could result in no longer being able to speak to people and churches around. But still, in the midst of this, we see in point B there, Paul spoke without shame of the supernatural in the prophetic acts of God. Paul spoke without shame the supernatural and prophetic acts of God. Paul could have stood there and said various things about God. He could have changed his mind and said how much he hated God for putting him inside a prison. But Paul didn't do that. He stood there and said, I serve a great and mighty God who has put me in this place for such a time as this. 
He isn't being evil to me, but he desired I stand before you and bear witness of who he is. Paul clearly confessed his dependence on the supernatural in the demonstration of God. He said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul knew any wisdom that he possessed or any cleverly crafted messages he could compose would not be what stirred the souls of those that he sought to reach with this salvation message. He depended on God showing up and demonstrating the supernatural in the midst of this environment. I know as apostolics, as Pentecostals, we sometimes get discredited for being uh, a little bit more exuberant than many other places. But what we understand and what we believe is it is not by us or by our words or by our strong persuasion that we, we persuade people to come to Jesus Christ. But it is through him and his spirit and his demonstration of the spirit in Jesus' name. That's why we are not ashamed to lay hands on people and see them instantly delivered from various ailments and from spiritual disease. It's why we are not ashamed to pray and to speak things in existence. It's why we're not ashamed to show up a half an hour before services to begin to pray and proclaim the things of God because we know that it is not about us, but we need the demonstration of God for him to move and to speak to souls and to desire and reach people. It's the reason why some come into this church and they say, man, there is just something that is so different different about here. I have not felt an atmosphere like this before. I have not felt the presence of God like this before. It's because we pray and we invite that to come into an atmosphere like this in Jesus' name. So a question you can consider for your own life is why are Christians often reluctant to speak of the supernatural to unbelievers or those of different faiths? Why are Christians so reluctant or often reluctant to speak of the supernatural to unbelievers or those of different faiths? I know it can be a challenge and it can cause you to be looked at very weird. I remember a time when I was proclaiming some supernatural things that a tragic situation had happened and I was telling my coworker that we were praying that God would work through this situation I remember this coworker just looking at me and, and thinking that it was completely weird and crazy that in the midst of such a tragic situation, we would proclaim the miracles and the supernatural of God in the midst of, of the situation. And, and how just kind of you could tell that at that point, they thought that I was somebody who was absolutely weird and whacked out of my mind. It isn't the first time that that has happened, and it's not going to be the last. I guarantee that. But there's something about an apostolic stepping in their workplace and beginning to proclaim the promises of God. Not only speaking them out loud, but proclaiming them by the life that you live. Not showing worry at every little mistake or every little thing that has happened. Not showing that, man, this is just such a big deal. No, saying God has it in his hands, and I am proclaiming and believing that God can work through it in Jesus' name. It will begin to transform those places around you. And so in 2 Timothy 1 and 8, we see that Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou the partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So Paul, in the midst of this prison term and these things that are going on, he is telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of these things. I have shown you before Agrippa that I will stand and I will proclaim this name of Jesus. But Timothy, I want you to do the same thing. I don't want you to be ashamed of me, but I want you to go and and tell people about the great things God has done in my life as well. But Timothy, I don't want you to be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our next point here tonight. That believers should not be ashamed of the message of the cross. We cannot be ashamed of the message of the cross. If we consider a modern, modern parallel, a political trial with the possible execution of a criminal, we might agree with Festus, the governor present at Paul's hearing. He thought that Paul had lost his mind. He said in a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. 
doeth make thee mad. It's making him crazy is what he was saying. And if we look only to reason for our answer, Festus might have had a reasonable assessment of Paul. How could it be sane to consider a person humiliated and disgraced to the point of public whipping and nude execution as a savior? And how is it possible to think the one who died would rise from the grave three days later? Why would anyone believe a person who would turn from his own people to bless another? But that is exactly what Paul preached. He was unashamed of this Jesus who had went to the cross. He was unashamed of what had happened there. The cross is ultimately shameful, but it is also glorious. And it is only because of the cross that the blood of Jesus and his blood that we have access to God. If that would not have happened, then we would not have the access to God that we have here today. But praise God, Jesus was willing to go to that cross to be humiliated, to be put in that place. And thankfully, because he went there, we now have access to God to come and speak into our lives. We can reach him in our living rooms, inside of our cars, in the church building. We don't have to go to some special place to figure out who he is, but man, we can reach out and say, God, I desire to know you right now. And he can sweep down right into our household in Jesus' name. We have access to him. And so Paul was proclaiming this to people because he wanted them to have that same access as he had. He wanted to have that same plug-in to have access to what he had at that particular moment. He wanted to show them that this Jesus, although some may think that he was shameful, was alive and he was risen from the grave and he was doing powerful things in this world in Jesus' name. If you don't believe that our world around us still wants to shame Jesus, then you can just go on your TV and begin to search TV shows and see how many different people try to explain Jesus and what he did and why he did it, not using scripture, but using the logic of this world. And they try to speak about this Jesus because they know that if they begin to proclaim him about this, that it could cause other people to try to say, well, you're not thinking right. You're crazy. Your, your mind is just wild and that sort of stuff. But no, people begin to say we have to have science to prove this and we have to have theories in this and that. I don't care about all of that stuff because I understand that God has created it. So if we were smart enough to come up with a formula to prove God, then it would absolutely prove he is real in the end anyway. So that does not matter. I do not have a concern about that because God created every one of those equations in the mathematical stuff and all of that in the end anyway. And we are just not smart enough to come up with the proper way to prove that he is real real. So all that my job is, is to say it is not my job to prove the existence of God, but it is my job to demonstrate that he is alive and he is well. And if I begin to demonstrate that, then he will come and demonstrate his supernatural ability in Jesus' name. That's why I do not fear getting behind this platform, because I know that it is not through my words, it is not through my cunningness, it is not through my craftiness that God will begin to reveal himself to you on the this live stream, but it is through his demonstration and his spirit and his power that he will begin to come into your household and show you that he is alive and he is well. And so we should not be ashamed of this message of the cross. You and I should not be ashamed or embarrassed to share our testimony of the gospel, that we were once dead, but we are now alive. We were once in sin, but we are now freely delivered from that in Jesus' name. You can rejoice, you can get excited, and you can praise God about that here tonight in Jesus' name. And so confidence in the gospel message and faith in Jesus to save should make a believer willing to share even in the face of possible persecution. It's stated this way, if a Christian is not willing to confess Jesus before others, then why would Jesus acknowledge that person in heaven? You think that's just a great phrase there? Well, let me give you scripture for that. In Matthew 13, Jesus says this, Whoever shall confess me before men, before men, not confessing him in, in prayer or before these other places, but confessing him before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in 
heaven. Jesus is saying that it is our responsibility to begin to speak about him before our coworkers, before people around us, not necessarily just in words again, but in our lifestyles, in our desires, in what we serve, in what we show, in who we are inside of our workplaces. We must proclaim him in that atmosphere so that he will begin to proclaim us in Jesus' name. Now let me tell you something that will blow your mind. And I want to preface this a little bit. It does not matter who you are tonight. It does not matter where you are coming from. It does not matter how long you have been in the church. It does not matter if you may have never been in the church before. Let me give you this next point. That, sorry, let me finish the scripture. Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, uh, which is in heaven. In Jesus' name. But look at this here in point B. God is not ashamed to be called your God. You can let that one settle in. He is not ashamed to be called your God. In Jesus' name. Doesn't that just make you... It just kind of gives me the Holy Ghost, the heebie-jeebies. It just kind of begins to flow and says, man, if he's unashamed to be called my God for all the terrible things that I I have done, then I need to go out and proclaim him to everybody because he is perfect, as we sang about earlier tonight. He is a perfect God. And, And because he is perfect, I can proclaim him, and I don't have to worry about him going out and backstabbing that person. I don't have to worry about him going out and not revealing himself to that person. I don't have to worry about him not fulfilling the promises that are in his scripture. I mean, come on now. If God is unashamed of us who make these mistakes and do these things to him, then how much more so can we say, man, my God who is perfect, I desire to proclaim him and show him to people that there is something that is alive and well. There is something that will not let them down, but there is something that wants to desire them and take them to heaven and love them and show them beautiful places. I mean, come on. Hallelujah tonight in Jesus' name. You can see the power of our God. He's not ashamed to be called your God. Scripture says this, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. He's prepared for us a city in Jesus' name. You can find that in Hebrews 11, 16. If you want to go back and read it in Jesus' name. And we are blessed to be a part of the household of faith. We're blessed to be a part of this household in Jesus' name that we can sing about and we can glorify his name in Jesus' name. There was a song that came out many, many years ago. I remember before I was even in church, I was actually at a Boy Scout camp and it was kind of funny because this, um, this guy started playing this song. He, was, uh, he proclaimed to be a Christian at that time and he, uh, I think it was MP3 players back then or whatever. I mean, the, the old-fashioned stuff, you didn't really have cell phones and all that. And so... He uh, began to play this song on speakers, and, and it talked about um, just about being in the Father's house and just like, you know, like talking about like we can play football and just, you know, as a kid, all these things thinking about. And, and I remember hearing that song and thinking, that song's talking about God. And it's talking about playing football and all this stuff. And all that I had known about church up to that point was sitting in a pew and, and crossing your hands and looking at the ceiling for an hour and thinking, man, I can't wait to get out of here because this is horrible. Uh, I mean, man, just monotone singing, monotone speaking, monotone prayers over and same prayers over and over and over again. You can't pray anything outside of that or else you're unholy and I mean, man, and I'm not making fun of all that stuff. I'm just saying, holy cow, I did not know who God was. And so to hear the song about being excited to be in the Father's house and, and getting to play football in his kingdom, I know that that may not be what we do in heaven. But just doing these things was a change in my mindset of saying, man, you know what? There, it kind of began to open my eyes before I had experienced this church. And when I got in this church and I, I remembered that song, I began thinking, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm part of his kingdom. 
I'm part of God's household that my father, my, 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 my spiritual father, my kingdom father, man, I get to go to heaven and live with him in his household and we get to have one big family and we get to sit around the dinner table and, and laugh about these things. Man, you know, like it just got me excited about that potential. And then when I began to realize that, man, those are just physical things that I'm thinking about, but God has so much more in the spiritual than just those things. I began to say, man, I am happy to be a part of the kingdom of God, to have a father who is not ashamed of me that I have messed up and done things so wrong, but man, he is lifting me up and he has taken me to new heights in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody, if you desire that joy in your life tonight, it is here and it is alive and it is well. I would encourage you to run after it as fast as you can, to get down on your knees and say, God, I want to be a part of your household. I heard Brother Fitzler speak about that. God, and I heard the joy that was in his voice, and I need it in my life. In Jesus' name, you can begin to proclaim that and pray that tonight in Jesus' name, and I can feel it in your households. I can feel it in this room. I feel like it just dancing across here. I know I am living it on time, so I can't do that tonight in Jesus' name, but man, we can have a Holy Ghost shout down tonight in Jesus' name because of what we believe in. Again, hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Come on. You can do this in your household where nobody can see you. I'm doing this on a live stream tonight. And believe me, there's going to be people that see it and they make fun of me tomorrow. But I don't care about that. I am not ashamed of these things that I believe in. I am absolutely ecstatic about living for Jesus. And I will dance for him when I want to dance for him. I will give him glory when I want to give him glory in Jesus' name. Nothing else that shame will not hinder me in Jesus name. Hallelujah. And as I kind of already led into as Christians, we're not only to belong to God, but we are to belong to each other. God is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters, and we should embrace one another like family as well. And you better believe it that Pastor Carnahan and I, if you are involved in this church, if you are living for God, that we will stand behind you. We will support you as long as you're not proclaiming anything other than this truth. But if you are proclaiming this truth, we will be behind you. We will support you. We will encourage you. We will know that God can do those things inside of your life. So likewise, let's do that as a congregation. Instead of tearing down somebody, instead of seeing somebody walk through the doors and saying, man, I don't know if God is going to touch that person or not. They look a little weird. I don't know if God can do that. Let's get behind them and say, God, whoever comes through this door, Jesus, I believe you're power and your spirit, your demonstration will show them that you are alive and well inside of this household and you will draw them to that baptismal tank and you will draw them to the gift of your Holy Spirit in Jesus name. You can begin to speak those positive things instead of sitting back and saying, well, I've been a Christian for 10 years, so I have much higher status than no, 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 that is not how this works. But we are in the household of God. We are not ashamed of him. We are not ashamed of one another, and we shouldn't let anything shame us into a corner of saying those things in Jesus' name. And so as Paul ministered, he was not deterred by the response of the people. He was not held back by the response of the people. When you first begin to proclaim this scripture, believe me, standing behind this pulpit can be one of the most intimidating things. I have spoken in many different churches some of them very alive and well. Some of them very held back as far as crossing arms and sitting there and, and basically acting like they do not want to be there the entire time. And when you stand behind here and you begin to say, God, I don't know if you are doing anything in this. It, it can be a challenge to say, I still need to passionately proclaim the word of God even in the midst of that. I need to let the anointing of God come through me to these people even in the midst of a circumstance like that. But it's always incredible when you have that one person inside of your workplace that comes up to you and they say, I've been watching you. I've been watching how you handle these situations. I've seen how people have treated you and you're still standing strong for what you believe in. Tell me about it. Tell me why it is so different for you compared to the rest of these. Don't be shocked when something like that happens because we cannot be deterred by the people around us. 
your coworkers, it doesn't matter if they don't, if they, they act like they don't believe in it. Believe me, there's some of them that are going home and they are crying in their households at night. There's some of them that have mindsets in that place of, of just disastrous things, divorce and, and, and people dying and the hurts inside of their lives and backstabbing and all that. Believe me, they're, they're crying on the inside, but on the outside, they'll put a smile on because they don't want anybody to see that. But you know what will pierce through that? Is that Jesus that's inside of you. That Jesus that you begin to live out inside of those atmospheres. Showing them that there is truly a light there. That there's going to be hurts and pains. But there's a light in the midst of that. When they see that you are unashamed to live for Jesus Christ. To walk this walk. To talk this talk. When you are not ashamed to, 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 to say, I am not going to tell those jokes. I am not going to say those words. I'm not going to be in those places. Believe me, it is going to speak powerful things to them more strongly than you could ever create or the cleverness that you could come up with. So don't worry about doing, uh, don't worry about being perfect. Just let Jesus live out inside of you. Become holy. Live righteous inside of those places. And he will use that in Jesus' name. You see, not every person who heard Paul preach was converted. Paul almost persuaded Agrippa, almost persuaded him, gave a beautiful sermon before him, and almost persuaded him. Paul, however, gave us a great example of an unashamed witness. He went on his way to Rome, and he continued preaching the kingdom of God and teaching others about Jesus. Scripture tells us that he went preaching and teaching with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So think about this. Does fear of rejection or being made to feel like an outsider or even a fool hinder you from sharing Jesus with others? Something to think about. So to conclude this here today, I know that I'm coming up close to my time again. I have so much more to say, but I believe that God has done what he needs to do, and I just need to say these last things and wrap this up. Last week we learned Paul's words to Timothy. Let no man despise your youth. And I hope that was an encouragement to let no person despise you. We could say it tonight, let nobody shame you. But we also see this, and this is what we're learning about tonight. We're looking at shame. Jesus went to the cross with joy, despising the shame. Jesus went to the cross with joy, and he was despising the shame. Despising the shame means that he disregarded it or he counted it lightly. Jesus did not walk to that cross saying, woe is me, everybody has seen me bruised and beaten and they're not going to think I'm a good God anymore and all this sort of stuff. Jesus didn't let that shame impact him like so many of us do today. We let that shame creep in and it begins to tell us who we are. It begins to tell us who we think others think that we are. It begins to speak to us and say, God cannot do something in your life because you're just a lowly person. You're meant to live on the street. You're not meant to have good things. You're, you're meant to be in this particular place. We've let shame pin us into those corners. But let me tell you tonight, God has already delivered you from that and it's time to break free of it. And the reason you can do that is because God in the flesh, Jesus, who had the same flesh that you and I do, he went to a cross absolutely bruised and beaten, looking like a horrible person in front of the community that was around him. He was despising the shame when he went to that cross and he went there with joy. He went there with joy for you and me and he did it so that we could share his glory with all of those people around us in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 21 through 23, it says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, that the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It goes on to say here that for the Jews require a sign. In the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, but unto the Greeks 
foolishness. Going back to the scripture right before this, we can see exactly what we were speaking about earlier. That at this time, there were some people that were standing back saying, I want to see a big fireball fall from heaven and a sign across the sky that says, this Jesus is God in the flesh and that only then will I begin to believe that he is alive and well. And then the Greeks were seeking after wisdom saying, well, we have our philosophers in this science and these mathematical equations. And until I see that four plus four equals Jesus, I am not going to believe that this Jesus is alive and he is God and he is well. You see them saying those things, but there is nothing new under the sun because today we see the exact same thing. I do not like to watch TV shows about the Bible. The reason being is because so many times those TV shows are not about truth and proclaiming the truth and, and speaking about the things inside of this word, but so many times they're about those equations and trying to make this work and that work and twisting this to see if Jesus is truly alive and well and saying, well, the blood that Moses had in the rivers, yeah, that was great that he proclaimed that, but it was actually this scientific thing of this coloring in the sand that came into the river and began to color it. It wasn't blood, but that's uh, it was the sand here. And they begin to, to explain these things away with natural causes and, and whatever it may be. And if they want to go do it, then they can run after that as fast as they can. But that is not my desire to prove God. I don't have to prove him. I have seen him deliver. I have seen him do those things. And I pray that that is alive and well for you all as well. And so we should not desire these things, but what we should desire is what is in verse 23 here, that we preach Christ crucified. We don't have to begin to formulate these equations. We don't have to begin to formulate this method and all these sort of things. All that we have to do is say, man, I have a Bible. And inside of this Bible, man, it says that Jesus went to a cross and he died for me. Inside of this Bible, it says that we can pray for the sick and they shall be healed. Inside of this Bible, it says, that the, those who, who need the Holy Ghost can receive it. It says that people can be freed and delivered from their sins. You see, we're proclaiming Christ and Christ crucified. And to those who try to prove it other ways, like the Jews and the Greeks, it will become a stumbling block or something that's hard for them to get over. And, and foolishness of where they're saying, man, you can't just trust a book like this. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's what you say. But when you begin to trust a book like this, it becomes alive and well inside of your life. And you will see that what that, that word speaks is alive and well. It is the living book that works in this world in Jesus' name. So we must consider these things when we speak about this. You see, there is the paradox of shame. The paradox of shame is this, that the shaming of Jesus throughout his public humiliation and crucifixion frees humanity from the shame of sin. The shaming of Jesus, this is what this says, and it may seem absurd or contradictory, but it has really proven to be true, that the shaming of Jesus throughout his public humiliation and crucifixion, it frees humanity from the shame of sin. It frees us from the shame and the guilt of sin. We were once there. We once did horrible terrible things but we went down in that water and we came out a new man when we came out that new man it didn't just free us from that sin but the shame that was with that sin it stayed in that water it was drained out and went down that drain so if you're still beating yourself up over the things that you've done in your past it's time to quit it's time to stop that if I am frank with you tonight. It's time to leave that behind and say, God, I have placed that in your hands. When you went to that cross and dealt with all of that shame, I believe that you took the shame that I am experiencing away in Jesus' name. But we see the world around us often shames those who share this message for true freedom. What causes shaming in this life frees us from the shame in the next. But Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation that everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also the Greek, not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power to take away that shame, to let me demonstrate this one true God. The more Paul preached, the more he was shamed, the more he was persecuted, the more he was in prison. He, he did these things, but he never gave up. 
in the midst of any of them. He said this in, in scripture. He says, are the ministers or are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. He goes on to say, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I, I stoned, uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And then he finally goes on to say here, and journeying often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils by the city, in perils by the wilderness, in perils by the sea, in perils among the false brethren. I believe that's the last thing that he says. He says all these different things, but he is speaking about all the things that he went through, yet he stood strong, unashamed of the scripture that we believe in. How many of us could say that same thing? That if we went through those same things that Paul went through, shipwrecks and dangers and being robbed and losing everything that we had, that we could still stand and come to church and say, I give glory to God for all that has happened to me. I give glory to God for every situation that I have been involved in. It is likely you and I will never know such suffering as Paul has endured. But every believer will experience some loss in this world for their faith. Every believer will experience some loss in this world because of their faith. The good news is our suffering it's only for a season. And when the time on earth is finished, we will enjoy fellowship with Jesus forever in glory. In our Father's house, we can play football. That was one of the phrases in that song. Man, in our Father's house, we're going to worship. We're going to dance. We're not going to be hungry. No more tears. No more COVID. No more worrying about this flesh. Come on, this is only for a season, only for a little bit in Jesus' name. I want to read this last story to conclude this tonight. I pray that you stick with me. It's just a few short paragraphs to show you we don't have it bad, even when we think we do. In 1905, the union between a housemaid and a statesman produced a baby girl named Willie. The infant was rejected by her father, and being a biracial during the Jim Crow era, when she grew older, she felt she didn't fit into the world of either race. Willie suffered disgrace upon disgrace. And when she was 17, her mother gave her to Scott Johnson, a man who was 25 years older than Willie, to be married. Money changed hands. In essence, Willie was sold by her mother to a man who abused her emotionally and physically. The Johnsons lived in poverty and were often cold and hungry. Not long after the death of her two-month-old son, Willie had had enough. She didn't want to go on anymore. And on her way to jump off a bridge and end her life, she heard music coming from a building. It was unlike any music that she had heard before, and she decided to go in to the little storefront church she just wanted to hear the music. She didn't think it would hurt anything to stop in for a few minutes on her way to this river. When she entered the building, Willie experienced something that she had never known before. She walked into the little church hopeless, but she felt it hope-filled. Afterwards, she moved through the street shouting, I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got the Holy Ghost. You've got what? asked a policeman. Sister Willie grabbed the lapel of the officer's uniform and said, I've got the Holy Ghost, and everybody ought to know about the Holy Ghost. Sister Willie was not just saved. She was called into ministry. And while she still suffered rejection and abuse at home and in society, she ministered powerfully to others. She evangelized and traveled from the 1930s to the 1980s, sharing the comfort she had received from God, the shame of her uh, parentage, rejection, and abuse could not hold this lady back even when her preaching or even after preaching she returned home to find herself locked out of her house and forced to sleep on the porch. 
The community knew her husband. They knew he mistreated her. They knew her parentage and background, her abject poverty and despair inside of her home. But after she met Jesus, they could not deny Willie's joy. It empowered her to the faithful, to be faithful to this truth. And she refused to allow any shame in her life to keep her from sharing her testimony of the good news of the gospel in Jesus' name. If Sister Willie could do that, then you tonight can begin to say, I am not ashamed and I am going to live my life in a manner that begins to proclaim this truth in Jesus' name. I desire to become faithful to the truth in Jesus' name. If you believe that with me tonight and you desire that inside of your life, I would ask you to lift your hands one more time in Jesus' name. God, I believe that in that authority tonight that every person that has heard this message, you will help them to become faithful unto your truth, faithful unto your gospel, faithful unto the things that you have given to them, God, so that just like Sister Willie, when opposition begins to come up against us, we can stand strong and proclaim this word and become a witness to those around us, God, that when you went to that cross and you delivered us from that shame that is in our lives, you are doing the same tonight, and we have been delivered to proclaim your name of Jesus tonight, God. Lord, let that be in this church. Let it be a lighthouse, this word that begins to go and reach households and people in this city and places all around us. Jesus, we know in your authority and through who you are, Jesus, that it is reaching this place all around us. And Jesus, it is through you and who you are that this will take place in Jesus' wonderful name. If you believe that, then let's just take a few seconds and praise him here tonight and give glory to the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, we praise your wonderful name, God. We give you glory and honor. Jesus, we magnify you and who you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. What a wonderful time here tonight in Jesus' name. I pray that this has worked well and that the, the thing has played very well inside of your households in Jesus' name. Go forward, encourage, knowing that God is good. He's going to do some good things for you. And knowing that we are uh, going to be doing some great things here in November, uh, that we're going to let God unfold and show through in Jesus' name. Go forward. If you need anything, please let us know. And we will be strengthened together as the family and the children of God tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful night.